Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It was that idea that makeup wasn't something that was supposed to make you feel bad but mm-hmm. the entire opposite it was supposed to make you feel good mm-hmm. and whether it was escapism for the stage and a different role and becoming a different person or whether it was supposed to give you a bit of confidence mm-hmm. on a tough morning or almost be an element of mindfulness where mm-hmm. you get to spend 15 minutes before you leave the house doing nothing but sitting in front of a mirror which is difficult for some people mm-hmm. But sitting in front of a mirror and like taking the time to just be with yourself and putting those products on and having nothing to concentrate on but that moment. Hi, welcome back. Today's guest is the academic, writer and activist Sinead Berg. Sinead tells her story so eloquently during this interview that I won't tell you too much. I'm just going to give you the highlights. So... Sinead started a fashion blog at 16 with a very clear mission because as a disabled woman who also happened to be a huge fan of fashion, she felt excluded from the conversation and wanted to have a voice and to champion diversity. Now, her approach has proved to be a massive success. And in the past year alone, she's given a TED talk, been featured in the business of fashion, has written for Vogue and the New York Times and works with loads of companies to raise awareness and encourage conversation. Sinead and I were introduced by the team at Moulton Brown after they got back the results from a survey of 2,000 UK adults aged 18 to 65, which found that millennials considered social media to be a happy place that nurtured the conversation around female empowerment. I'll just give you some stats because they're really quite cheering. So 64% said it's helped them to connect with like-minded people they wouldn't have otherwise met. 63% felt it's a space in which they could express themselves freely. 68% said it exposed them to views, ideas and issues they would otherwise not be aware of. So in this interview, Sinead shares her thoughts on how the internet can be helpful in shaping a safe space for people to share their experiences and to educate, as well as, of course, talking us through the story of how the way she looked and the products she chose to use affected her life. Sinead, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a treat. So, can you talk us through how you found a community through social media and that journey? Sure. I am 28 years old, and in terms of the internet's existence and social media's existence, I consider myself very fortunate that I came to social media more or less as an adult, at least with quite a lot of my opinions formed, but more importantly, my confidence, probably fully formed, and I had a great network of people around me and family and friends who if the internet was not a safe or happy space for me in any moments I had people around me who cherished me and and that supplemented it and I think that's one of the challenges perhaps of today and we'll discuss that later but you know I grew up wanting to be a primary school teacher and I made that decision at four years old and in many ways I made the assumption that that would be my career until I retired at 65 or, or 70 or 80 depending on how current trends proceed. But I always loved fashion. And I think that interest really stemmed from 
feeling isolated and left out and not included within the dialogue because I would go shopping with my sisters who are average height and not disabled like me. I'm a little person. I have dwarfism. And was really upset that I had more money, more interest, and knew that the power of fashion could be transformative for me personally and professionally. Mm -hmm. And yet my sisters could buy all of the things that they weren't even bothered about. And purely because of something that I had no choice over, being disabled, although I'm very proud to be disabled, the fashion industry never considered me or thought of me. And my way in was through education almost. And I would Mm -hmm. sit and read the business of fashion. I would read Vogue. I would read WSGN. I would know how the system of the industry worked. And I would sit around the dining room table every evening and tell my parents, gosh, don't you think it's really interesting that, you know, when Nike officially took on Colin Kaepernick as a ambassador shares initially went down three percent but the following night went up 22 percent and my parents would go that's lovely (laughs) is there anybody else you can talk to about this yeah and there wasn't Mm -hmm. physically and the internet was this space where I could build a community and participate in a large global conversation that it didn't matter I lived in Ireland an island of four million people but and it also didn't matter what I looked like because I didn't hide my height or my disability online, but what people took seriously was my ability to articulate an argument, to ask mm-hmm. questions, my curiosity, my interest, my passion about the subject. And do you remember your first blog post or what that felt like to send out into the world? Yeah, it was an assignment for university. So I was training to be a teacher and the whole idea of blogging came about through my ICT lecturer. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, you all have to create a blog and the blog is going to act as this connector between home and school that you can write about what's happening in your classroom and parents can go online in the evening and look at it. And he said, so for your first assignment, for your first blog post, write about anything you want. And what he meant was something to do with education, I imagine. But that's not what he said. So I wrote about Kate Blanchett wearing Givenchy Couture to the Oscars and the legal stipulation and reasons as Mm -hmm. to why we cannot just call whatever we find couture. It has Mm -hmm. to be handmade in Italy in Paris and the specifics about it and I submitted the blog post. He passed me. I don't know why, but he did. Well, it sounds and, like it was quite a good blog post. Yeah, so I, I really surprised. enjoyed writing it. <laughs> yeah. And in many ways, you know, I was having more and more conversations at home, frustrating mm-hmm. my loved ones around me about mm-hmm. my interests that had no interest to them. Mm-hmm. And remember that blog that existed. And in its first incarnation, it was called Film, Fashion and Pop Culture, okay. which was almost like Ron Zeal, you know, exactly what it said on the tin. Yeah. And it, had, it then grew a different name, but it became this safe space for me where I could stop talking about it to people who didn't really care in the mm-hmm. way that I did and find people who did. But then there's the thing with fashion blogs. What, how long ago was that? Um, so it existed for almost 10 years. So it was probably okay. 2009. So in the very early days. But I'm just thinking that a lot of people put pictures of themselves online mm-hmm. and go, here's me wearing Givenchy. Here's me doing that. Did you do that? And no. no. So you were just talking about it in a really mm-hmm. authentic, like, I'm passionate about this way. Yeah. Were you talking about your challenges? No. no. It was more journalistic in okay. approach in terms of it was more or less a way for me to get the information out of my head and to right. document it elsewhere. So you had this simmering passion. You were like, just got to go somewhere. Yeah, exactly yeah. that. And then I realized that there was, you know, I was reading articles and things and there was questions that I wanted to ask that yeah. other people were not asking. And I was like, what, what about this? So it then began where I would just email people and guess people's email addresses and say, hi, my name is Sinead. I, I have a blog. Would yeah. you mind talking to me? Were people quite receptive to that? Yeah. And I'm quite tenacious as an individual. So if you said no to me, I would always find a way of saying, well, is there a way we can do this in six months? And I was so grateful to so many interesting and important people who said yes to me, who really shaped how I thought. And so that online space, I mean, were it not for that, do you think that you'd have somehow ended up 
working or doing anything to do with fashion or do you think you'd have pursued the dream of becoming a teacher and I think I would still be magazines? a teacher and yeah. I would love that career I loved being a teacher and think it's such an important job mm-hmm. but you know I grew up not seeing anybody who looked like me working within fashion so mm-hmm. why would I see it as a space in which I could exist and there's that whole piece that if you can see it you can be it and I think mm-hmm. that's for all of society and the more and more visibility and role models we have across mm. different industries the more in which we can feel empowered I think to, mm. to achieve our dreams and on that note do you have any advice for someone else who is starting now because obviously it's a much more saturated space but what is it that you think makes people stand out online and, and carve that space for their for their voice to be heard it's architecting your own tone of voice and I think the internet and blogs and the industry as you said is saturated is just populated with so many different people but there is a sense of genericness about it that I think if you have a really valid reason about why you want to contribute and what you think is important and the questions you want to ask mm. that visibility will come about and it mm. may take time I mean my blog was was almost 10 years before I got to go and give a TED talk which which changed everything yeah and it's about being able to keep at it and mm-hmm. I think if it's about you and your interest and and furthering that along and being brave and courageous and irritating at times yeah that will happen but there is yeah absolutely and also you need that passion to fuel you because I don't think many people experience great success in the early days of no. striking out alone and I'd say that for blogs and in journalism and in it really in any field where it's a kind of passion field um but the other thing I was going to say is that there's sometimes a um criticism leveled at blogs which is where people go oh you know bloggers just take pictures of themselves and it's all about them blah 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 which I think is vastly unfair but I just wondered what your thoughts on that is hugely and I also think it's really you know women are constantly critiqued for having photos of themselves or selfies on the internet and my question always is you know what harm is it causing to you and if somebody gets a boost in confidence we have no idea what their day is like by posting a photo and getting some affirmation from strangers or friends on the internet mm-hmm. then let them yeah and also we have no idea of the inspiration that that thing gathers for others and don't get me wrong there is a total other side of this coin where people feel not oppressed by it but definitely mm. like it's reinforcing a typical standard and definition of beauty and I think we need to look broader at it you know the problem or the challenge is not necessarily in the technology but in the people and in the system socially that reinforce these characteristics and what are we doing to change that what are we doing in magazines in film and television and mm. culture to again reinforce role models of a different variant mm. and I think we all have a responsibility to take part and participate in that but I mean the critiquing of blogs makes no sense to me and you know critiquing people because they have a sense of value and worth and confidence about themselves Mm -hmm. I mean is that not what we're trying to build in young women or young people across the board so why are we critiquing people for that at an older age and you know I also think that those who exist in those spaces who have huge amounts of privilege and audience and reach have an onus on them to do better and to feed back and to help that next generation along or an older generation who perhaps don't have the confidence that we think they have what do you think um older generation bloggers or just people in society could do to support that the individual voices i think you have to probably be a bit more explicit in your invitation for people to come to you Mm -hmm. you know i do my very best to answer 
every DM and every email and every message that comes through. I'm sometimes a bit late getting to them, but it's my absolute goal to do so because there was people in my life who transformed it based on one action or one kind word, as trite as that sounds. And it made all the difference to me to continue and to persevere. But I'm also really conscious that, you know, I was full-time student when I started my blog and I was also training to be a teacher and my ability to be able to do the two simultaneously was a challenge but also a great privilege Mm -hmm. and not everybody is able to do that you know particularly in circles like fashion and beauty you can't always work for free we all need to pay the rent too and that duality of making sure that you're not risking yourself by wanting the long-term goal that exists in 10 years. Mm -hmm. So it's finding different ways to to support that. But I think, you know, established bloggers, whether it is, you know, in a book and being a bit more kind of long distance in terms of that touch points to consumers, Mm -hmm. but, or if it's a fan who comes up to you on the street, and regardless of how busy you are attempting to be kind, or, Mm -hmm. you know, I make sure to visit schools. I do several school visits each month Mm -hmm. and try to facilitate conversations around difference and disability and that realisation that, even though my difference is physically and immediately obvious, we're all different. Yeah. The definition of normality is so skewed that, and actually so personal that, you know, you don't subscribe to my definition of normality, nor do I of yours. And that's okay. Yeah. And I think by encouraging those conversations and by being your most authentic self online, and that's not to say we all need to post photos and narrate our worst days, but just being conscious. The internet has been positive for you, definitely very positive. But I know as someone who also lives on the internet that there are awful people or people who are having awful times and say awful things mm-hmm. and, you know, trolling and things like that. Have you had any of that? And if so, how do you deal with it? So, oddly, a lot of the negative experiences that I would have do not exist online but exist in person Um, and I think one of the challenges that we need to look at I know there has been an announcement here recently about limiting the amount of time in which young people can spend on the internet and providing Mm -hmm. guidelines for that and I really think we need to make sure that young people's voices are included in that conversation and I would love to see a working group exist of young people Mm -hmm. whether they are YouTube creators whether they are content creators whether they are much more passive content creation but consume content and helping to shape those guidelines and policies because I think one of the challenges is is about the internet is we're all trying to police it Mm -hmm. and make it safe for for people which is absolutely necessary but if the right voices are not shaping that research it's already out of date by the time it's implemented Um, and I, I think that's really important but as regards for me in terms of that trolling you know I would regularly be walking down the street and people would call me names or people would take photographs of me in a way that is supposed to I suppose embarrass me and dehumanize me in a way because they think it has value to them on the internet because if this goes viral they will get a certain amount of currency and my response is is multifaceted at least I try to be so those school visits are really important because I think if you can change the consciousness of young people before they mature and are conditioned by society of what they are supposed to think about disabled people you have a hope in making the change sustainable and then also working with the police service in Ireland because of a negative experience I had when I reported that once. Mm-hmm. I now do training every year with the new recruits of Angarda Shia Khan, our National Police Service, mm-hmm. to really make sure that those who have a responsibility of protecting us understand the breadth mm-hmm. of the challenges that can be there for anybody who's different. 
so it sounds like by now you've intellectualized it and yeah. come to this this is how we change the world and you know you're an activist and you're someone who's passionate about it but I'm wondering presumably that happened when you were quite young and I'm just wondering when you were young and sort of moving into your childhood whether that affected you quite a lot or whether you were always quite resilient so I grew up in the most amazing family and, and still live with my family and my dad is a little person and that was transformative for me in a way that I probably didn't realize until I was much older because growing up with my dad there, I always knew that everything would be okay. Mm -hmm. And 80% of little people are born to two average height parents. Right. So most of my friends who are little and who have dwarfism do not have the same experience that mm -hmm. I do. Which but is you, why could, you could see it in your household. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, okay, great. And, you know, learning from my dad in terms of how he mitigated and managed mm -hmm. those situations was huge. Yeah. And I think I always grew up with the understanding that if people were cruel to me, it said more about them than it did about me. Because mm -hmm. if somebody has to go about their day to make me feel small, mm -hmm. metaphorically and literally, then they weren't the kind of people that I wanted to associate with. So it was almost this amazing filtration process that I found my tribe really quickly. Yeah. And that encouraged my own self-value, as roundabout as that sounds, because I realized that I had no hand act or choice mm. in terms of being disabled. This mm. was something that happened genetically to me before I existed. Mm. I'm very proud of it now and wouldn't change it for the world because of the lens it has given me. But what I do get to choose is how I behave, as we all do. So with fashion, mm. you have been into that for as long as you can remember. Yeah. I'm wondering um, whether beauty captured your interest as much or whether to you it was part and parcel of the same thing. It was probably a little bit different in terms of my experience of beauty came from my dad. So my dad was involved in the arts. And growing up, there was always this long-running joke in our family that despite having three sisters and a mother, my dad had the biggest makeup box of everybody. Did he? What did he do? He was acting. And oh, it was okay. entirely true. Yeah. And we used to get into the car on the way to school, trying out makeup at the youngest of ages. And my dad would look in the back mirror and say, your foundation's really patchy today. Yeah. Or, you know, you need to blend it along your neck. Yeah. And our friends would get in the car and go, what? Like, <laughs> how, how does your dad know? And, you know, we used to, as we got a little bit older, talking about contouring, my dad was like, that's a drag technique. Like, why are you worried about contouring? It is for more masculine faces to look more feminine. It's to soften edges. Like, why are you doing that? Yeah, yeah. And my whole insight into makeup was entirely different and my dad was using it for transformative purposes on stage mm. and for us it became this different tool and it was almost this bonding process with my dad mm. which in terms of gender was so different to many of the other conversations that was happening yeah in so many other houses but yeah that was my touch point and my access to it so the transformation then mm. was there right from the beginning because for a lot of people they see the glamour or the kind of um the effect beauty can have in the colour, but not the transformation. Mm. But you had seen it from very, very young. Absolutely. That was yeah. within our DNA at home and then mm -hmm. how we experienced it. And in terms of, you know, what products we used, mm -hmm. the value we placed on products and... Yeah, Do you remember any products that were, you know, that you you were all sharing or that became big in your household when you were My young? dad is a massive fan of the Max Factor pan stick. Like, just shove it on, you know, yeah. roll it over your stubble. And I was like, Dad, our skin is not that resilient. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, just rub it on and smooth it over it. Like, no such thing as a brush. Yeah. Everything with fingertips. Right. And I was like, Dad, I have crevices and creases where <laughs> you do not. And you have crevices and creases where I do not. Yeah. And it was uh, that idea that 
makeup wasn't something that was supposed to make you feel bad, but mm -hmm. the entire opposite. It was supposed to make you feel good. Mm -hmm. And whether it was escapism for the stage and a different role and becoming a different person, or whether it was supposed to give you a bit of confidence mm -hmm. on a tough morning or almost be an element of mindfulness where mm -hmm. you get to spend 15 minutes before you leave the house doing nothing but sitting in front of a mirror, which is difficult for some people. Mm -hmm. But sitting in front of a mirror and like taking the time to just be with yourself and putting those products on and having nothing to concentrate on but that moment was really reflective. So aside from your dad, which is something I never thought I'd say, but aside from your dad being your beauty role mm. model, um, was there, were there any celebrities or people in the public eye that you were looking up to and thinking, I'd like to look like them? Or was that just not in your consciousness? I think because I knew that I didn't look like them, that was also really empowering mm -hmm. because I wasn't comparing myself to the celebrities of that era. You know, I grew up in the era of The Simple Life with um, Paris and Nicole Richie. Great yeah. show. Yeah. Um, but, you know, celebrity culture was so rife yeah. during my era. You know, I was obsessed with the Spice Girls, but I think it was less about the beauty and the aesthetic and the fashion and more about that notion of like female collegiality mm -hmm. and you know I know every word of Spice World which has its 21st anniversary this year I believe yeah almost too much <laughs> take a step back <laughs> but there was never a moment where I was like gosh I really want to be like them it was more I really want to be friends with them yeah so I want to be part of their gang yeah. that message speaks to me but I don't want to be someone else no because yeah. I knew that I couldn't mm. and actually that was incredibly helpful so when you were at school then yeah. yet your early teen years how did your ideas of beauty progress and also in terms of your skin your mm -hmm. hair what were you doing what were you using yeah what were you into so i had really long hair in school um like past my waistline wow yeah okay. it was terribly dramatic <laughs> and i think i almost used it as this symbol to prove my age to everybody because i was like well i'm not going to be eight with mm -hmm. hair that length because mm -hmm. that's physically impossible and in terms of uh, beauty routine I went to an all-girls school mm -hmm. and we all wore a uniform and we were quite well policed mm -hmm. as regards to makeup and the thinking at the time was that we weren't they were trying not to put us under social pressures that of having to wear makeup and again in terms of cost and making sure that everybody had the best products or not yeah but there was this idea that if we were all bare-faced mm -hmm. we would all be equal but that's not always true either because with skin conditions and with say. confidence yeah. often makeup is a a tool for the better rather than anything else so yeah. it was kind of hard and I really enjoy sleep mm -hmm. so beauty wasn't always my priority but I was very punctual and made sure that I got to school on time and mm -hmm. was quite bookish okay. and made sure all of my homework was done so those were my priorities okay. in terms of school but I was very lucky that I had relatively clear skin I have mm -hmm. an oily t-zone um, so I'm imagining you as this kind of quite academic mm -hmm. like young girl you're not you terribly uncool terribly uncool <laughs> long hair you have this interest mm. but it's not it's not found an outlet no one's nurturing it really no. it's just kind of there simmering away so at what point did you start owning the way you looked in terms of my own aesthetic and clothes mm. it wasn't until I got much older like I remember my mother telling me you know don't buy what you like buy what suits you and she was absolutely right at the time because there was mm. so little available to me mm. in terms of what would fit me well and it was always about fit rather than flattering right. and it was making sure that you know the straps weren't hanging off it was making sure that the trousers weren't too long yeah but I wanted to wear a sequin jumpsuit mm -hmm. but that is just too difficult to alter and didn't come in children's wear or didn't come in my size yeah and it wasn't until I suppose I started this conversation 
within my own space much broader that I realized that there were greater options there and wow. that it wasn't good enough that I just got to buy what fit I wanted yeah. to buy what I really wanted to wear yeah so you weren't really thinking about it then in quite no it was purely functional despite having a very almost academic interest in the fashion industry right. you said that at 11 you considered undertaking limb lengthening mm. um you wrote in British Vogue I refuse to alter myself to appeal to the expectations of others yeah. um tell us what was going on in your mind and how you made that decision sure so I was offered it just before puberty in terms of a growth spurt. So the idea is that your limb bones are deliberately fractured. And over the course of um, six to 12 months, mm-hmm. with a kind of wire frame over the bones, the bones are stretched apart. And in that time, new bone marrow grows, which gives you an additional height. So you're fortunate to get maybe three to six I was going to say, it's not much. In no, any case, and yeah. I'm three foot five and I'm okay. smaller than most little people. Mm-hmm. So I was conscious in terms of independence. It wouldn't change my life. I might be able to reach the next shelf, but I would still need help. And my parents said to me, you know, this is your decision to make. And at the time, I kind of took that really for granted. And now as an adult, despite not having children, Mm. I think it was so brave of them Mm. to allow me to make that decision myself, to give me that agency and autonomy and say, we're going to respect your decision. And they let Mm. me sit with it for quite a long time. And I think I just had this thought process about... You know, I'm quite analytical in how I work. I like figuring out systems and things and how to change them. And I remember just constantly thinking, you know, why would I be doing this? Mm. What would I be doing this for? Who would I be doing this for? And I realized that, you know, three to six inches wouldn't change my life. Mm -hmm. But it might affect others and how they respond to me. That Mm. it might make me look slightly more able-bodied, which would give me greater acceptance. And I think just having the amazing family that I did and my friends and growing up in a world where I was constantly the center of attention most of the time I had no consent over Mm -hmm. and it wasn't always positive that I realized that if people did not like me because Mm -hmm. I was a little person again that was their problem not mine and I was really happy being me and I wasn't going to change myself so that a couple of other people would have a more polite conversation with me did you feel quite empowered after making that choice then? No, I was really flippant about it. I was like, oh, no, I'm not, like, that's fine. Okay. And my parents were like, great, glad we've made that decision. Okay. And it wasn't until I was much older that I realised really the gravity of that decision. Yeah. That I was just like, oh, it's not, it's not for me. But it is almost like saying, I accept myself as I am. Mm. I'm not, yeah. It's and I think great. doing it at that early age mm-hmm. meant that as regards to my teen years, and don't get me wrong, I had insecurities about all sorts of things, but as regards to being comfortable in my own skin, which is probably why I went to school with no makeup, which is probably why I had really long hair, because I was mm. like, well, this is me. You have yeah, to deal with it. This is where I am. Yeah. Um, but you were talking about clothes coming from children's shop and yeah. finding it hard to find clothes. Do you feel that beauty, or did you feel that beauty was more democratic because an eyeliner is an eyeliner whether, you know, Cindy Crawford's wearing it or you're yeah, wearing it? So I, I did, but I found the process of accessing beauty quite difficult because I was always really conscious that everything was really high. In terms or, of physically at the counters? Yeah, yeah, in terms of, and yeah. as the price point increased, so did the shelf at which they were on because they weren't low because yeah. children would knock them and break them. Okay. And it was that idea of having to talk to a sales assistant and ask them for what I wanted and them being unsure of what age I was and whether or not it was almost right to give me these products and that was difficult in terms of just accessing them buying them and now with online it's so much easier exactly where you're just Mm. walking in saying please can I have a liquid eyeliner or you know I lived in the existence of neon blue eyeshadow you know it was completely different in terms of 
exploration we didn't have the instagram face mm. that we do now mm. and i was always quite intimidated by that process because i suppose beauty didn't come naturally to me in terms of a skill set it's still something i struggle with mm-hmm. and spend a lot of time on youtube learning to do better on so that idea of then having to be vulnerable and saying please can i have yeah. this and and, and browsing is part of the joy so that yeah. thing when you walk along a, a, a counter and you see all the products that's part of but the even thing now you, yeah. even now i can't like you know the yeah. nail varnishes are up high so that if they don't fall yeah and break and yeah. it's you know always the cheaper products i'm thinking about this now in my head because i i've never thought about it in that way yeah. and now i'm i feel like i'm going to be conscious of it everywhere yeah, I go. in terms of fragrance and perfumes and yeah. then when you go to duty free duty free is so much higher because there's all cabinets and presses underneath it mm. and it was just never designed with me in mind mm. ever and i remember thinking this is hard work planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands plus quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I mean, we're getting there now with diversity, but 20 years ago, there was nothing. Yeah. Um, did that affect you? Or again, did you feel just like, well, I currently don't have a voice or I don't see anyone who looks like me, but I will? Or I think I had just sadly accepted it as the status quo mm-hmm. because that was my normality that people like me weren't visible in those spaces. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, well, like that's how it is. And then the amazing surprise when you see something different and not just surprise, but like, inspiration and mm. empowerment and mm. thinking what like wow yeah. you know I grew up wanting to open a magazine and see somebody who looks like me I wanted a doll that looked like me I wanted yeah. a children's book that had a story with somebody like me and those things are slowly changing but I'm really conscious that I am white straight cisgendered working class disabled and I tick a lot of the boxes of privilege so if I felt like that mm-hmm. how many people felt even more left out because we are still mm. not at that point if I'm starting to feel included yeah there are still lots of people who do not. And what are we doing and what am I doing to now use the platform and the privileges that I have to ensure that that momentum continues? Mm. And it's not just about people who still we could define as normal, whatever that means. Have you had a moment now where, say, when I was thinking of the business of fashion shoot, mm. where you, you know, your eyeshadow's done and everything's mm. immaculate. Have you had a moment where you thought, oh, my God, this is I'm doing this? Yeah, like, it's been the most incredible year yeah. and it feels really surreal and mm-hmm. I, I telling my friends recently I had the fortune to be in Milan yeah. um, at this amazing green carpet fashion awards event on the stage at La Scala and I got to win an award and it was presented to me by the CEO of Gucci Marco Bizzari and I'm you know climb up a set of stairs to go up to the podium and I'm looking out into the audience and like Anna Wintour is to my left Donatella Versace is to my right Hamish Bowles is there and 
you know, I live in Ireland. And I grew up reading about these people. As I told Anna at that dinner, you know, she's been editor-in-chief of American Vogue for my whole existence. Mm -hmm. She has been one of the most forceful powers who has shaped my interest in fashion because she has led and and nurtured that interest through that magazine. Mm. But growing up in Ireland, my only access to these people was through magazines or through television. I never physically saw them in person. Mm -hmm. So they could have been caricatures Mm -hmm. and not real people. And I actually wouldn't have known that they existed. Yeah. And to be in a space and in rooms now where not only are you sharing those spaces, but they are talking to you and asking your opinions and taking advice on board and power sharing in a way that is equal is terribly surreal. I used to have this thing when I was younger where I would read magazines and I would see the names of the people who Mm. wrote them. And um, my surname was, um, my dad's Hungarian, so I had a foreign surname before I married my husband. And I would read their names and they'd all be like, you know... um, William Jones yeah and I would think no one sounds like me no one looks like me and I found it very disconcerting as someone who wanted to be a journalist now when I meet people and obviously now there are many more journalists with loads of different names and it's really cheering but I know that exact feeling of being in a room with people that you think oh I hadn't maybe I I hadn't realized you were an actual human yeah and it's it is quite surreal and I think that's if we take it back to that conversation about the internet where we started is so important because Mm -hmm. often we can interact with people particularly if there's an element of celebrity or a knownness to them and we forget that they are human yeah and i think we need to be kinder both to other people and to ourselves within that because i think sometimes we forget that we are human too yeah i often have to mute the monologue that exists in my head because you know the worst people in the world wouldn't say the unkindest things that i say to myself sometimes as with us all yeah and I think we just have to remember that humanity and that respect for both ourselves and and others and again it comes back to the internet where that can be quite cheering space because Mm. if I mean again lots of people do say things to themselves that are worse and you can project that outwards and actually when kindness comes back at you and people say you look great or like that coat you think you know what I'm not that crap I think if you can offer a moment if you can take a minute out of your life to offer a moment of positivity in somebody else's. I mean, why are we not all doing that? Can we go back and talk about products? Because you mentioned that there was a perfume when you were 16 that Mm. had some significance to you. Yeah, so I have been wearing Chanel's Coco Mademoiselle um, as my kind of celebratory or like big moment fragrance. And Mm. I'm not sure what it was that I loved about it in the moment, but there was this like inherent femininity to it yeah and I'd heard the story of Chanel number five and the five perfumes and she went and picked one and it was number five and I was like I'm going to love this yeah and I remember when I I experienced it for the first time I was like I feel like this is too mature for me yeah at the moment because I was also the kid that grew up with like Elizabeth Arden sunflowers yeah 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 and I was like this is not me and she's not five intense isn't it so intense yeah and what I didn't realize at the time was that it is patchouli is a base note that is in every fragrance that I love. Right. And I don't know if Coco Mademoiselle was my first inkling of that, mm-hmm. but it's what I wear in evening moments, and I prefer mm. something much fresher and lighter. Yeah. Uh, and has a bit more delicate to it. Yeah. I don't like to be overpowered by it during so the day. So that's your I'm a woman. Yeah, that's it. I'm, I've arrived. Yeah. I'm here. Here I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> did you wear that when you went off on stage? Um, I did not. I Ooh. wore a very masculine fragrance when what I was on wear? stage. It's by an Irish company called Rhodes. Okay. And they have... Or O-A-D-S. Okay. Rhodes. And it's amazing. I think it's called Afrikaans. Mm-hmm. And it's very kind of heady and like almost an oud of sorts. Oh. And I think I just wanted to feel as powerful as I could in a very 
historic definition of yeah, powerful yeah. and was Masculinity. like well i was so nervous <laughs> yeah i was like getting up on all of this stage and i was like this is what yeah i need yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. i wore that and i think the other products that have been really important to me i've learned from other people because okay. again i suppose i was looking at magazines more for the fashion pages rather mm. than the beauty and mm. would like skip through and then it's when somebody teaches you something or tells you something and you know i suppose i never really thought of, of lip care mm-hmm. as a thing and then i when you say you didn't think of it mm. Sorry, I just find this astounding because yeah. the idea that you wouldn't... Because when my lips are dry, it makes me feel mad. Yeah. So I came to lip care maybe as like a six-year-old. Wow. So did it, it didn't bother you. You didn't have a thing where you felt like your lips were no, dry. No, weirdly, or... Vaseline was the symbol of like female friendship where it was shared around the classroom. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. completely unhygienic and yeah, disgusting. Yeah, I was just thinking how gross. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but it was never about necessity. Like, right. you want some Vaseline. Right. And you'd put it on and it was like... But it was never like, oh, this is for my lips. It was yeah, more like yeah. being part of the gang and right. the symbol of it. Yeah. Um, so I never really, yeah, I never really thought of it. Despite living in a cold country, mm-hmm. I realized the mm-hmm. irony of that. And it was, I think, a makeup artist. Uh, there was like an International Women's Day event mm-hmm. and that I was speaking in, oh my gosh, years ago. And they were prepping my face and putting, like about to put lipstick on. They said, oh, I'll just put this lip balm on. It was the Elizabeth Arden eight-hour mm-hmm. lip uh, balm. So the bullet? No, it's in like a little pot with a white lid and a pink base. Right, yes, yeah, like a tin. Yeah, it's like intensive and repair. Yeah. And I remember just being like, thinking, gosh, this is so luxurious. Mm -hmm. And after I immediately went and bought it in Judy Free, and Mm -hmm. I have kept up with it ever since, and I absolutely love it. Mm. And then, you know, we were talking about earlier about my dad, Mm. and I think the other product, I've already mentioned it, is Mm. like the Max Factor... um, Panstick, yeah, and that still gives me both terrors because my yeah. dad's like, just shove it on, and I'm like, there is absolutely no moisturizer underneath my skin here, just putting it on. Do you still wear it? Okay, no. <laughs> does your dad still wear yes. it? Yes, does he? He does still wear it. Still believes in the panstick. Your I'm dad like, sounds like a dude. I want to come and amazing. interview him. Yeah, he is amazing. Panstick yeah. all over and under the lights. He's like, it's great. It doesn't reflect. <laughs> bit of powder. Does he have to? Powder. Does he shave quite well he before? Does. Okay, yeah. right. And then a slight bit of moisturizer. Yeah. The panstick on, and then the cryolin, and then kind of the other products that I really admire. You know, I'm, I'm very new to eyeshadow, as ridiculous right. as that sounds. Can I pause you for Please. one second? Okay, so I'm looking at you now, and you said, "Oh, I'm not that great at makeup." No. But you have a good eyeshadow on. Yeah. You have an eye flick. Yes. And you have mascara. So that says to me someone who knows makeup and loves it. So yeah, now you and makeup, where are you at? And please tell us the products you yeah, love. Yeah, I'm much more confident mm-hmm. at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's mostly learned from my sister. So my youngest sister, Chloe, is amazing and yeah. a real aficionado as regards to beauty and mm-hmm. is the person who pours over content and learns how to do all sorts of techniques and will spend an evening perfecting an eye look yeah. only to take it off again, which infuriates my father. He's like, yeah. what a waste of product. But I get it. It's exploration yeah. and it's education. And, you know, I learned recently that I have a hooded eye, which mm-hmm. has transformed my whole procedure as regards to eye makeup, the fact that I have to add a crease. But only a slightly hooded eye. Only a slightly hooded right. eye. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, and for me, in terms of, so I use a Maybelline Infallible Foundation with a really good, rich moisturizer from L'Occitane mm-hmm. underneath. And then... In terms so of is concealer, your skin quite dry? Uh, my skin is quite dry. So you don't just, suffer from acne or more no, towards dryness? No, I don't. More towards okay. dryness, but still sometimes like a shiny and an oily T-zone. Yeah. So then what, I, what moisturizer do you use? Which um, So it's on? like, it's the, oh, this is me knowing specifics. Mm. It's in the yellow. Okay, yes. It's like the It's like a yellow jaw. With That's a, the one yeah, that know. just feels yeah, heavenly yeah, yeah, when yeah. you put it on your skin. Yeah. And then always a bit of concealer. Do you use serum? I do not use serum. My skincare, I know. 
you'll okay. have to send me I'm a list. I'm going to hook you up with Sarah. Please you need do. Serum. Send me a list. Okay. And then I use Benefit Browsings mm-hmm. and Gimme Brow. And then for my... Benefit Browsings through as a shadow and then you put the Gimme Brow through and you pull yes. that to style them. That's exactly it. Yeah. And then I have uh, in Compact Powder from e.l.f. I'm not doing this in order. Okay. Uh, my blusher is... Uh, Nars and Urdem. Yeah, and um, you feel quite passionately about this. Oh, I one. love this. Yeah. So it was actually giving it to me by I was in New York and I was staying with my friend Farron, who is an amazing contributing editor for USL. This also your life sounds so cosmo now. You're it, like, it, oh, it, there I was, I was in, in New, my York. New York. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she's an idiot, not yeah. the run of herself. And we were talking about blusher. And yeah. Farron is amazing at beauty, mm. and I just said I find it really difficult because being small and being a little person too much redness and pinkness of the cheeks makes me look childlike mm. and, and almost like character-like yeah. and I, I don't like that but at the same time I'm very pale mm-hmm. and want to add a bit of colour to it and she took out this NARS or gem blusher that was mm. quite apricot and peach mm-hmm. in shade but still had a bit of a shimmer and she was like why don't you try that you're wearing it now yeah it's nice and I really love it and then I have the Fenty Illuminator mm-hmm. uh, which I love what colour um, is that? it's just a clear transparent white okay and for, in terms of um in terms of highlight and mm. then it is an urban decay palette on my eyes that has like four colors that is actually nude yeah and kind of oranges yeah. and rustic browns mm. and is it then, their naked palette yeah it's just one baby of them naked. yeah it's like a smoky naked palette yeah and i use that purely because of convenience for travel and yeah. it also makes me look a bit more awake when mm. my eyes are open mm. and then my mascara is also a max factor so i don't buy high-end products purely because I'm unsure as to what to do with them in okay. the most of the time. I've tried the Touche Eclat and still don't know what I'm doing with that and I'm yeah, like, yeah. okay, But sure. you don't need it because that's a highlighter and your yeah. face is actually quite radiant. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and those are kind of the products that I would use day to day and then my sister is teaching me into all different types of like Anastasia brow and what else is she <laughs> teaching me? Um, your sister who, knows her products. Yes, who is the amazing beauty influencer that everybody is obsessed with that they're buying products from? All there about the contour. Many. Many, I know. Not, I'm not the Kardashians. Being no. Huda Beauty. Huda. Oh, yeah. Okay, Huda. Yeah. Huda. Have not embraced Huda just yet, I believe. Huda's a look, though. It is a look, which my sister is very good at. Right. I don't think I'm cool enough for the look. Do you remember when we were talking about bookish and nerdy? Yeah, I'm yeah, not, yeah, 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 I don't yeah. think I'm cool enough for Huda. Yeah, but I would like to try. I just want to be... Yeah. You know when you see, like, French women who have, like, no makeup on? Yeah but look fabulous yeah. and have huge amounts of water but also yeah. great mascara and tinted moisturiser or like they do one thing like it looks like they've got a naked face and then should I get this bold red I'll get this bold red and See? their face just looks fine but then I also really love exploring with colours so I'm yeah. a complete contradiction to my own self like mm. my favourite product in my whole thing is uh, MAC Neon Orange so I find red lipsticks quite difficult to wear yeah um, because uh, both in terms of confidence I think and also because there's like a yellow tint to my teeth and I feel like the red draws that out sometimes it could be my own imagination also it's some reds yes Yeah. and I believe is it a bluish red that I need yeah an orangey red will make your teeth look more orange a bluish red can make them look whiter but it can also not work necessarily yeah. do you know what the best way to do is to grab a bullet and yeah. put it next to your lips and then you can see oh I see like it's well, quite I easy well I use Max do. Neon Orange which is my favourite lipstick I know bizarre bolder than red yeah. <laughs> yeah so it's not the boldness so I use okay. Max Neon Orange is like if I want to feel great and if okay. I want to be like yeah but my biggest thing is that I always have lipstick on my teeth always I mean, it's, it's very hard not and to I, lipstick on your my teeth. my favourite people are the people who tell you. Yeah. Yes, that is a very good indicator of who's a good person. Yeah, they're like, yeah. just so you know. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, thank you. Sort it out. Yeah. Um, so you are quite experimental then. You're yeah. not someone who bulks at going, I'm No, I love glitter. Thing. And my best friend is always like, less glitter. Glitter on your eyelids? Everywhere. 
but yes body that, mm. do you mean sparkle on your clothes like my ridiculous top or no do you mean... i would wear like yeah if i could have a glitter highlight for my cheekbones right i would do that but it's too much and then i was at yeah. what show was i to at see recently? val garland last season yes yeah and i was at the valentino show and they yeah. had like crystal glitter eyebrows i saw this and i sent photos to my best friend and he was like no that's not a look for you I really deeply understand you because I also look like someone who's oh, conservative, but mm. you know, my makeup is fairly neat and blah, yeah. blah, blah. But I see a glitter eyebrow and I think, oh my God, I want that I can so, that. so much why, in my why life. Why can't I? Yeah. Like, why can I not have blue glitter yeah, yeah, all the yeah. way up? Um, so it fires you up and excites you. Oh, like, I'm like, yes, please. And yeah. then, but the wonderful thing is, is that I forget that I'm wearing it and then everybody else is shocked, awed, slightly curious yeah. <laughs> about your choices, which I think is quite oh, great about makeup. Hmm. And then you see a mirror and what's also wonderful and a challenge is that in most spaces, I am too small for a mirror. Mm-hmm. They're above my head. So I rarely get to see what it is that I look like. Oh. And then I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot. Yeah. That's so glitter. Oh, I wonder what a world like that would be like. Yeah, yeah. it's a challenge Not sometimes. catching your image as you, you walk You get past. really good at using your selfie mode on your on phone. On your phone, as you, yeah. And you buy makeup products that have a mirror. I want to talk to you about your hair mm. because, well, for two reasons. One, because it was very, very long and now it's a bob. Yes. And second, because you mentioned liking Spice Girls and I, I have done my research, Sinead, and I'd like to know who inspired your bob. So many people. So I have been gradually getting shorter and shorter with my hair over time. Mm. And then I was very fortunate to speak at Davos at the World Economic Forum this year and in January and kind of just said it was maybe just past my shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my really best friends, David Cashman, is an amazing hairstylist and he was like, I'll cut your hair for you. So that was kind of the first thing that we worked on for the hair, and mm-hmm. we just went with a bob. Mm. And it was probably always something that I wanted, primarily because of the Spice Girls and Victoria Beckham, her being my favorite Spice Girl. Yes. But for me, it has been a really transformative symbol of mm-hmm. both maturity mm-hmm. um, and also, like, so I actually think my hair was easier to manage when it was longer because I could hop out of the shower, air dry it, yeah. and it would and still... just it around. Yeah. yeah, it would still have a sense of, like, sanity about mm-hmm. it, whereas now I do it and I look like I have stuck my finger in a socket. Um, not a great look at yeah. all times. Yeah. But I love it. It's just... It sounds ridiculous to say, but it gives me power. Yes. And also an element of uniformity. You know, we yeah. have Steve Jobs and we have all of these men talking about the advantages of wearing, you know, a black polo neck every day and having this yeah. sense of, of comfort and fit. And mm-hmm. in many ways, my, my short hair and my bob gives me that. And it's like, oh, she's yay high with a bob? That's Sinead Burke. And not yeah. that it's becoming part of a brand. And I yeah, don't yeah. doubt that I will change it. But... Yeah, I look at the amount of people with exceptional bobs. Like, you have Eva Chen at Instagram. You have Anna Wintour, of course. You have, I think, did I see Gemma Chan with a bob recently? Like, you have all of these amazing It's people. very much a woman thing, though, isn't it? Yeah. To have slightly shorter hair and say, well, actually, I'm not going to fanny around my hair. It's not going to be curly one day. And this, it's, this is my look. This is my hair. Yeah, and yeah. I'm not very good, primarily due to reach. Mm-hmm. So even straightening my hair is quite difficult because there will always be a curled part at the right. back because my arms don't get back far enough to yeah, do yeah, it. Yeah. And a lot of the utensils are built and designed for bigger hands. So the idea yeah. of like curling my yeah. hair... And like it requires two hands and is then dangerous in terms of hot equipment. Yeah. So this idea that I can blow dry it and then quickly mm, run a straightening iron over it, it yeah. uh, is, is, gives yeah. me great independence. Yeah. Have you now met Victoria Beckham? Uh, I met her very briefly at a uh, British Vogue Victoria mm-hmm. Beckham celebratory party mm-hmm. and she was lovely. Was she? Did yeah. you tell her she was your favourite Spice Girl? No. 
I felt terrible like it was, shame. I know. I felt like it was. I fawned over. I got to meet Kate Blanchett recently. I saw. And I fawned over all her and told her, like, word vomited at her about how she was the reason why I had a blog and was the yeah. reason why I was getting an award on stage and felt like I came on a bit too strong. What did she say? She was lovely. Okay. And she was so nice. It's very hard when you gush at people, though, because you really want to impress on them how much you like them. Yes, but well, it's just... also not scaring them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's really a difficult line. balance. So I felt like. <laughs> Victoria Beckham, I needed to take a step back from Right, okay, so you were like, cool. Be cool. Yeah. Think you're great. Next time round, you can go in with friendship. I just really like, want to oh. know what size shoe Harper is, because yeah. is there hand-me-downs going? I'm a size 12. Oh, that's a good point. You tell her. Yeah, I'm not sure she'd be open to that question. But... If one of her people is listening to this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's put the feelers out there. Um, I just wanted to finish on something that I read that you said that, again, just made me think what an incredible woman and, and was really excited to meet you today. So you said... But though your disability and height doesn't define you, it's had a positive impact. It's made you, to quote you again at you, um, articulate, resilient and confident, all of which is so evident. Do you have anything to say to anyone who faces adversity because of their physicality? And what would your message to them be? I think it's really hard. I think in order to create change and for the world to be a fairer place, we all have to take action and take work. And it can't just be relied upon the people who are minority voices or marginalized to educate the world mm-hmm. on how it should be better. Everybody has a job in doing this. And what I would say to anybody who feels alone or marginalized or left out or mm-hmm. anybody who is physically disabled, find the people who support you. Mm-hmm. Find the people who champion you, who distract you in your most difficult moments, who only want the best for you, but will still joke about you Mm -hmm. in the kindest of ways. Yeah. And having a support network around you, it can be of one person, it can be 50, it can be 200. It's always better when it's smaller. Yeah. But if you find those people, I think it makes everything easier and Mm -hmm. better because even when the world is unkind or accessibility is an issue or you're scrolling through Instagram and you feel like you are the worst person in the world by having a group of people who you can reach out to who can challenge that thinking and Mm -hmm. take you out of that space um, I just think it's so important yeah and to people who don't face any physical disabilities the main thing then is to give a voice encourage support and listen and I also think sometimes we can be you know my greatest challenge is immediately obvious when you meet me and one of the greatest things about that is from the moment we have a conversation you're already thinking about the world how it exists around me, what you might have to help me with, Mm -hmm. how you might ask that question. If we leave this space and we go for a coffee, I'm probably not going to be able to reach the coffee counter. Mm. But for so many people, like me looking at you, you look like you have everything. Yeah. And I'm making that assumption because you fit all of society's definitions of normality in my perception. Yeah. And that makes it really difficult for you to be vulnerable to me. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I get mine out of the way in 30 seconds and you either deal with it or you don't. And how long are we friends? How long are we into a podcast? How long do we have a conversation before you say, actually, Sinead, the reason why I do this is because. Yeah. And how receptive am I to that? And I think we need to be much kinder to people too and allow them to be vulnerable, particularly when we think they don't need to be. Um, I am such a huge fan of this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, delighted you agreed to come on the podcast. Thank, Thank you, you so for having much me. for your time. It's been such a treat. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. And as per usual, I'm going to ask you to please rate and review the episode and to subscribe if you haven't already so that you don't miss any future episodes. I'll be back next week with a new guest. So see you then. Bye.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 